0: nine oh six Monday night, October fifth, twenty twenty. Tom Curt here live and in real time. As indeed I am uh, five nights of the week from Monday through Friday. We're here from nine to ten. As I said, live and in real time and we try to bring you programs to both entertain and edify. And uh, Doctor Mike Walden, who is uh, our resident economist, professor of economics at NC State, is entertaining, but also he's very edifying, and he's going to be with us tonight to give us an update on the economy, as he does every month, and has so for just about the last 30 years. Dr. Walden, are you there? I'm here, Tom. Good evening. Good evening. Are you ready to uh, give us an update on the economy?
1: Try to entertain and edify, yeah.
0: Edify. (laughs) (laughs) I will have to look up edify and see if it means what I think it means. (laughs) But anyway, it's good to have you with us tonight. Uh, I still... Well, I don't even know. I've, I've paid so little attention to the baseball situation that, uh, that we can't rely on that is where we go if we run out of things to do tonight. Okay. Well, I guess <laughs> there's not
1: much to say. I mean, you're. I guess you have two teams, the Pirates and the Tigers, and uh, neither of them made it to the the extended playoffs. And my Reds did make it to the first round of the playoffs, but they were they were handily defeated by the Braves. That's what uh, I remember that's Braves, hearing. So. The season for although I still follow baseball, I mean I still am interested in who ultimately wins the World Series. But uh, in terms of the team I root, root for is another one of those. Wait till next year.
0: But the real subject at hand that that that's our footnote material. Our real subject at hand is, of course, the economy. Yeah. And yeah. the first thing we usually do is I say, we that's corporately speaking. You're the brains of this outfit. Is to update on the the, the general economic situation.
1: Well, a mix of good and bad news. The good news is that uh, we we do think, we being economists, that we are past the worst of this, uh, what are, many are calling the COVID-19 recession. I call it the mandated recession because we, we had, had to close down a lot of large part of our economy to deal with it initially. But it looks as if we're past the worst. We've been seeing the economy improve, meaning more jobs, uh, more revenues since, are not back to where we were. Uh, we're about halfway back if you look at jobs is the metric which most people follow. Uh, we're, we're back about half the jobs that we that we lost. And importantly, those are not the same necessarily the same jobs that were lost. There's this one I think the lasting impacts of this pandemic will be that it's going to shake up the job market. The job market's always Turning, new jobs being added old jobs being lost but but this pandemic I think has accelerated that um, we do see in the numbers that the pace of improvement seems to be slowing for example we we had the national numbers for the job market come out last Friday six sixty thousand net new jobs in the nation that was That I mentioned that that was likely the case, that when, we, when uh, the shutdowns and the stay-at-home orders were lifted, I thought there would be a big jump in the economy, particularly in jobs, and there was, but uh, that would gradually uh, taper off. So we're adding jobs, just not at the pace we, we were. I think the, the big concern right now, Tom, and, and you really can't talk about the economy without talking about the virus is whether, as many feared, we might be going through a second wave. Many states are seeing their caseloads go up, their rate of infections go up. I think I heard today Wisconsin is now seeing record numbers of new new infections, Um, and that has long been a concern. In fact, that's been the track record if you look at past pandemics like, uh, of course, the famous one, uh, a little over 100 years ago, uh, the, the Spanish flu in 1917 yeah, to 1919, um, uh, one that you and I lived through as young people, the Asian flu in the late 50s. These things do come back, and so that's something we have to watch. And already we're seeing some states, I think uh, New York has has reimposed some restrictions. But if we what we ultimately need of course is a situation where the, either the virus just goes away, uh, dies out, or probably more likely that we do get a, a vaccine that is effective and we get it we get it distributed to, to uh people. Everyone's not gonna get it at the same time, but we get it distributed to people so that when we roll around the next spring, which is probably as long this is gonna take till then, then we're in a much better position. So Good news uh, looks like we're improving. Bad news is we still have a long way to go.
0: One little piece of testimony from, from myself, I was talking to my sister recently, and her son is in the building trade, and she says he cannot catch up right now. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I guess we, it's like a lot of things, certain areas are doing very well, and apparently people... She's just sitting around thinking about all the things they wanted to do. Uh, now have time to actually get, get about doing them if mean, so they can afford it. And so, yes, and, and the construction industry has been one that
1: has, uh, I w- I'm not going to say that it has been impacted. It has, but it's been impacted much, much less than other sectors like the hospitality sector, restaurants, bars, um, uh, travel, etc., hotels. has been one that has been uh, uh, spared more than other industries, and I think two things are
0: I I think, Dr. Walton, you've covered what you intended to cover on that. I may have, may have jumped the gun a little bit there. Well, the other, it's just a couple other things. that um,
1: one, one issue that's going on right now, of course, is whether there will be another uh, stimulus bill coming out of Washington. And uh, this is a day-to-day thing, but at least the, the major sides, which are the president's people and the speaker's people, are talking. Um, and what they're... Disagreeing on is how big this would be. I think the, the Speaker wants something in the $2 trillion-plus, uh, and the President's people want something probably closer to $1.5 trillion. And then they also disagree on the content. I think they, they, they agree on aid to businesses. They agree on aid to some of these really hard-hit businesses that I mentioned in, in hospitality and travel. They agree probably on uh, another round of federal help for unemployment uh, for people unemployed. Uh, where they disagree is in terms uh, of aid to states. Most states are, are likely going to see their revenues go down over the next over this current fiscal year, including North Carolina and a lot of spend. So there's a move in Washington to have the federal government uh, backfill some of that so that states uh, can still do the things a disagreement, political disagreement, between primarily Republicans and Democrats over how big that should be. So um, people should watch, though. I'm, I'm cautiously, I do think we probably do need another aid bill from Washington, but um, uh, that's something on a day-to-day basis. And of course, with the president uh, being hospitalized and away from the action, I don't know if that's
0: on the economy uh as I have told you in our truth and broadcasting segment uh he's telling me do this that the tr- truth is that he gives me a cheat sheet <laughs> because he's the brains of the outfit and the outfit and knows what uh particular facets of the economy we should cast our uh, our eyes on and uh, and he should report on and he's indicated that we should talk tonight about what's going to happen after the virus, and I find that uh, idea. Uh, uh, something that I would like to know about, and you will hear about it right after we take this break. tonight For his October visit, uh, Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at uh, NC State. I didn't give you his pedigree, but he, he got a degree from his hometown university, the University of Cincinnati. So deep down somewhere, he's a bearcat. And then he hiked himself off to the land far above Cayuga's water. Is that no? That's not right, is it, Dr. Walden? Uh I think it's just far above Cayuga's waters. Yeah, I yes, that's ca- that right. Yeah. Uh, when well, I think of Cayuga, I think of Cleveland. But anyway, it's uh, Cornell University, yes, one of the right uh, on the lake, Lake Cayuga. Uh-huh. Yeah, one of the nation's great uh, land grant universities. Mm-hmm. And he came in about 1977 to work at another great land grant university, NC State, and. For a long time, he's been our resident economist, and he says one of the things that we ought to talk about tonight is what's going to be happening after the virus uh, vanqu- is vanquished or dies down or goes away, or they come up with a vaccine. Dr. Walden? And what I mean by this is, for example,
1: will North Carolina's economy and economic competitiveness be enhanced by... What's happened after the virus goes away, or will it be uh, will it be challenged? And I think I think it's in the former. I think that uh, this is not to say that everything is going to be totally fine, and every every business, every household, totally fine. What I'm talking about is as, as businesses around the country, and people around the country. Let's say a year from now, uh, look at the various states, and look at states in terms of is that a state I want to move to and start a business, or move to and raise my family, I think North Carolina's position will be actually enhanced. And, of course, North Carolina has been very competitive in this for, for several decades. We, each year, we, we attract more people from other states here than we lose in our in domestic people moving out of the state, uh, and we rank very high in that. But I think that will get even better for a couple reasons. One is, if you look at the pandemic, and, of course, every state's been impacted by the pandemic. The latest numbers that I have seen, and these I believe go through September, uh, so this is a moving moving number, but at least uh, very up to date. Uh, if you look at deaths per capita, number of COVID-19 related deaths per population, North Carolina ranks 31st. In other words, 30 states are higher on that metric than North Carolina, and interesting are the lowest on that death rate per capita, again, this is through September, than any of our surrounding states, any of the states that touch us. We have a, a lower rate of death uh, per population than any of those surrounding states. And we also have a ro- lower rate of death in ter- and compared to some states like Ohio or Texas, where we often compete with those states for, for businesses. So I think that's, that's number one. I think that when we come out of this impacted by the pandemic, but we are a relatively safe state if you look at some of these metrics. So that's number one. Number two, there's been a lot of talk and discussion about how this pandemic has uh, flourished in big cities, in dense areas. Uh, the virus spreads very easily, and therefore it likes it, it's easy to spread if you've got a lot of people packed together, which is the nature of cities as opposed to rural areas. So I think one question would be, for North Carolina, have our cities uh, done poorly in that metric, uh, and especially our, the cities that, that, uh, that, that we've seen a lot of growth in, those in the Triangle, Charlotte, the Triad, et cetera. And, again, the good news there is, is no. Uh, we are not, none of our big metro areas are, are high compared to other metros around the country on the, the measure, in this case, the uh, cases per capita. In fact, if you look at cases per capita in North Carolina, where you see the highest numbers, uh, they have been in a couple of rural areas, down one down east and one in the northeast, where the population is is high in terms of the age scale. So the bottom line here is that, that uh, uh, I think North Carolina will come out of this in terms of its competitive position. I want to emphasize that, what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about about everyone is going to be whole financially and every business is going to automatically go back to where, where they were. I think, unfortunately, a lot of businesses, a lot of individuals, a lot of households, a lot of workers are, are going to struggle for a while. I, I, I hate to say that, but I think it's true. But in terms of collectively as a state, looking at our struggles and looking at how we've been impacted by the virus and looking at where we are positioned in terms of attracting businesses outside of North Carolina to come here, I think we're going to look very good.
0: Sounds good to me, and that makes for, for if you're ready, Dr. Walton, and if not, just, you are. Know, whoa, Tom, we need to do something <laughs> else. Um, makes me think about real estate, and people oh, coming here, and, and I think the label for Chapter 3 tonight is location, location, <laughs> location. Well, we're shifting gears a little bit,
1: but... Um, I'm actually doing some some work, academic work that involves real estate, and and I came across an article the other day that talked about something that economists refer to as the rent gradient, uh, but I think it's known more popularly as location, location, location. That's the answer. That's sort of of a joke when you ask someone, says, what are the the three most important things in real estate? And the answer is location, location, location. And the point is that uh, let's say you're let's say uh, uh, there's a couple uh, who is looking for their a house to buy maybe their first house, and they they have requirements in terms of size, square footage, uh, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, uh, et cetera. And how many times if you watch some of the uh, real estate shows that are on television, which which is something Mrs. Wald and I like to do, we enjoy some of these home remodeling shows, et cetera. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear uh, a couple say, well, this house is perfect. It would be perfect if we just pick it up and move it closer to and then fill in the blank." Oftentimes it's closer to work or maybe closer to schools, closer to shopping, et cetera. And the point of this is that when you when you deal with real estate, you have to deal with location because every location is not viewed the same. Those locations that are closer to things that people want to be close, because that means if you're if you're in that close location, you don't have to commute as much. You can maybe get in the car and, and drive to a shopping area without even thinking about it. As if you're if you're way out in the in uh, in the suburbs. becoming more and more important. And anyone who's lived in Raleigh for a while, I'll just use Raleigh as an example. Tom, you've lived here probably a decade more uh, than I have. I've been here now uh, in Raleigh over 40 years. Um, If you look around Raleigh and And there are places in Raleigh and, and, and Wake County where you want to be close to university, downtown, hospitals, schools, etc. And as more people have moved here, that makes those sites that are close to those areas that people want to be close to more valuable. And, in fact, this pulls in another adage that I like to use when I discuss real estate, and that is Will Rogers says, said uh, decades ago. Uh, he was a humorist, you know, this time in the early 20th century by land, they're not making any more of it, and that and, and that's true with real estate. Sites are site specific; you can't really make any more of it. So, this uh, this uh, impact that we see in in uh, real estate markets, where the closer you are to things people want to be close to, the higher the price per square foot. Let's say of a home, that's become even more so in the last. Uh, probably uh, 10, 15, 20 years in a place like fast-growing Raleigh. In fact, the study that I looked at said that that that, uh, impact of being closer, you can see in real estate prices almost twice as much as you
0: did, say, 10 or 15 years ago. Mike, let's call time for a moment. Yes, sir. Let's Uh let's come back to here because it's time to check the news. Mike uh, Walden, economist, is our guest, and we'll be back following a check of the latest news. Dr. Mike Waldo will be back with us in just about 30 seconds. We do like to do a little promoting at this time. Bob Chandler of McVantage, uh, he deals with uh, Apple products, and he's going to be with us tomorrow night to talk about Apple products and technology. And if you have a question about your Mac, uh, that's one of the programs that you'd want to hear. Uh, Bob will be on tomorrow night. Uh, Wednesday night, we will, of course, have the vice presidential debate here on WPTF and on the Tom Kearney Show, which will be pro- preempted at that time. Nostalgia, Thursday night, Friday night trivia. Tonight, Dr. Mike Walden is making his visit for the month of October to update us on the economy and and comment on the various aspects of the economy as it transpires. And when we went away, he was talking about real estate and uh, how it uh, it has been affected by the growth that has taken place in North Carolina and in, in, for instance, Wake County. Dr. Walden, are you there? I am, Tom,
1: and I think I finished that up. And, and you have uh, mentioned, uh, full disclosure, that we talk about the topics. And uh, if we can, uh, can I add a
0: topic at this point? Yes, you may. In fact, I, I was trying to fit, I'm just going to be honest, I was trying to fit the pieces of the puzzle together, and I said, we need one more piece. <laughs>
1: so well, let me let me add uh, add that other piece, and I wanted to talk about um, uh, two uh, again pieces of information that have come out about North Carolina. I always like to tra- talk about North Carolina if we can. Um, one is we we now have uh, the data from North Carolina for something called an economist called gross domestic product GDP. Um, It sounds like a mouthful, it sounds complicated, it really isn't. It's it's a number that economists like because it is calculated to be able to add into one number everything that all businesses do, no matter what kind of business you're in, uh, production, services, education, health care, making furniture, growing food, it all gets uh, added into one number. And it's kind of our go-to number as to really track the economy. And, unfortunately, uh, a lot of these economic numbers that we like to see come out first for the country, and they come out much later for states. But, anyway, we just got the numbers for North Carolina for GDP. For the second quarter this year, um, which is um, April, May, June, that was the disastrous quarter at the national level when GDP at the national level fell at an annualized rate of uh, almost a third in the second quarter. We now know that North Carolina's GDP fell almost as much, not quite as much, but it fell by 30%. Again, these are annualized numbers. These, this doesn't mean the GDP fell in that quarter 30%. It means if, what, if the number that it fell in the second quarter continued for a year, it would be 30 or 33%. So we were down big time in North Carolina in the second quarter. We also It might also be useful to talk about the first quarter, which is when this COVID-19 recession began because of the national level, we fell at an annualized rate of 5%. North Carolina now we know fell by 3.5%. So well, the numbers were slightly better, still very bad, but still slightly less bad, I guess I could say, for North Carolina than for the, uh, for the nation. So maybe we can take a little bit of solace out of that. The other thing I want to point out is that um, for the last unemployment rate, uh, which for North Carolina was for, um, for August, we don't have the September numbers yet. We do have the September numbers for, for the nation. But uh, for the last unemployment rate uh, for both the nation and for North Carolina, we had a fairly sizable dr- drop in the unemployment rate. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, economists have to say That was a little bit deceptive, and I have to go into a little bit of background here, Tom, and and certainly interject when we have to go to a break. When we calculate or when the statisticians calculate the unemployment rate, uh, they're very picky. They're very picky about who they count as unemployed, and they will only count someone as unemployed in this family. This is all done by a survey, and it has nothing to do with people filing for unemployment compensation. A lot of people think that's where the unemployment numbers come from. They don't. So this is all survey, and in that survey, what really determines whether someone who doesn't have a job is counted as unemployed is: are they looking for work? Are they out there pounding the payment, trying to find a job? And if they're not, they're not counted as unemployed, and they're just—they're actually not even counted in the labor force. And unfortunately, those those if, in the case of August for North Carolina and September for the nation, those are the two latest numbers for unemployment we have for months we have. In both cases, when the unemployment rate in those months went down fairly significantly for North Carolina and the nation, it was due mainly, not only, but mainly to the fact that a lot of people who we know don't have jobs just, just stopped looking for work, and therefore they weren't counted as unemployed. So you, so what I tell people is, you know, yes, follow the unemployment rate, but it's much better, and, and I think you'll get a much more accurate uh, look at the economy if you look at the job numbers in terms of how many jobs we added. That, I think, is more telling. And I think it's more telling especially now because there's some some things that are going on in the economy regarding jobs and furloughs, et cetera, that we normally don't have going on. So uh, I, I, we certainly want unemployment to go down, but the rate, I think, is not really flashing exactly what's going on in the labor market as you would, and I, and I tell people, look at just the number of jobs that are being created, how many how broad they are, where they are, et cetera.
0: That's a better indicator. Dr. Mike Walden talking about jobs and where they are in North Carolina and uh, the most accurate way to look at the jobs market. Uh, uh, Right now we have uh, 940, Dr. Walden. I think we have uh, time to even get another topic in before we take the the next break that's coming up. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in what you're going to Say about this because I've wondered all about. It. In fact, I think I even asked a question about this a couple of programs ago. But uh, next on our list today, the next chapter is dangers of the debt. Yeah, and and uh, this this
1: may carry us uh, past the break, Tom. So again, that'll be okay, no when problem. I, when I get too long-winded, this is one of the downsides of of what well, among many. But in terms of the federal government helping the states, helping businesses, helping people, and the federal government has been doing that very, very broadly. I think we're up to about close to four trillion dollars, trillion T dollars of help from the federal government. Uh, people need to recognize this is not coming from taxes. Uh, we're not raising taxes now. In fact, probably you don't want to raise taxes during a during any recession. But it's it's coming from the federal government borrowing that money. You might say, well, who who are they borrowing from? Well, uh, anyone who invests in Treasury securities, which is still a considered very safe investment. You don't get a lot of interest, but it's considered very safe. Uh, you're helping fund the, the national debt as well as foreign investors. And we, we United States uh, Treasury Securities, have been very, very popular for many decades with foreign investors. But we are borrowing that money, and we're adding it to the national debt. Now, uh, a question I probably, I would say, Tom, among the top five questions that I've gotten in my 40-plus career 40-year-plus career at NC State regarding these kind of policy issues is, when will the national debt really sink us? When are we going to have to, to pay or default? And what's going to happen to the country that if, if we default? And I think those concerns have, have increased over this last year because of this enormous additional amount of debt that we are, we are raising. Um, here's, here's Walden's answer. Everyone won't agree with it, but here's my answer. Um, take a foreign holder of our debt, like China. China does uh, own a lot of our debt. In other words, we borrow money from them. Can can would w- is there ever a chance we're going to wake up the next day and find in the news is saying that China has now called that national debt, that those debt debt they want it all paid back now, the the trillions of dollars that we have borrowed from them, they want it back. Is that ever going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. China's not going to do that. There are terms on that debt uh, that is the length of time uh, that's written into the contract. Uh, and if China were to sell that debt to other buyers all at once, that would probably hurt China more than it would with us because the value of that debt would go down. So that's not going to happen. Number two, is anyone from the government going to knock on your door one morning, Tom, or the Walden's uh, door one morning and say, you you got to write a check to the federal government. Your part of the national debt is $40,000. dollars you got a week to write the check. That's not going to happen either. So uh, I, and I hear both those things, and, and, and they're just not going to happen. Instead, the real cost, there, there, there are several costs of national debt. One is that it means that we have less money to spend on other things. In other words, if we are borrowing, if we if we borrowed $4 trillion from the future, that's four, and we brought it back to today, which essentially is what that means, the borrowing, to help businesses that are failing and people that are failing and, and prop up uh, um, other businesses and maybe even state and local governments, that's $4 trillion that we've committed and wouldn't be available for other things. Now, I actually think we had to do that because I think we were in danger of the economy collapsing under this COVID-19 uh, recession. But what that means, and that four trillion dollars is not available for the future to be spent on bridges or education uh, or health or whatever. Furthermore, it's not available for the private sector to invest. And so, what he, the, the, the strongest cost that the economists have found uh, in in looking at national debts, not just ours, but but other countries, the, the biggest cost is what the cost of the national debt is that it causes our economy to grow slower in the future because we've moved a lot of money from that that would have been available to invest and make us more prosperous in the future. We've moved that to now and so that means we're going to grow less than we were in the future. Let's say instead of growing maybe at two percent a year in the future, we'll grow one and a half percent, which means standard of living don't go up as much, not as many jobs created, et cetera. That's the real cost of the increasing national debt. And what our policymakers had to decide was, and they had to do it very quickly, was is that a cost we're willing to bear in terms of saving people, saving businesses, maybe saving state and local governments now? And and that was what our policymakers decided, yes, it, it is worth it, and that's why they did it.
0: Dr. Walden, with your permission, before we take the break, can I add a, a little tag to this? You can, of course. Uh, I, I told you earlier, before we came on the air, that I just started reading this biography of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And one of the reasons the Lincolns, uh, we've, we've often reflected on and, and uh, the, the Lincoln family, Thomas Lincoln was Abraham's father. and uh-huh. He didn't always do very well. Well, part of the reason he didn't do well is that in the 19th century, when you had these uh, roller coasters of the economy. There wasn't any cushion there to catch these people. Right. Uh, if you see, if you see what I mean, uh, there was no government to to uh, spend a trillion dollars mm-hmm. to help them get through. So Thomas was doing fairly well. Thomas uh, Lincoln, Lincoln's father was doing fairly well early on in Indiana, but uh, there were several uh, panics, uh, mm-hmm. economic shutdowns in the nineteenth yeah, century. Panic was. The the nineteenth century term for a recession yeah for recession and and I was just thinking of the comparison of the of the what what his family Lincoln's family yeah. had to go through this was when he was a teenager uh, at that time than then what is going on now and how much uh uh it, it has helped to try to keep some people afloat, if we could, until they could weather the storm, so to speak. That's, that's that's my little historical note. Well, and 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 again, tell me if we're getting close. But that Tom, that's I
1: mean, that's an excellent example, and that's really been the big, probably the biggest change in economic policymaking. And you know this over the last uh, seventy years, uh, with the Great Depression, and the and the philosophy being that uh, rather than just let people businesses flounder and, and whatever they can do to stay afloat, let them do it, the economy will eventually correct itself, which is true. Do we need to take action to maybe try to push the economy faster and, and get it back on its feet a little faster, as well as hurt those people, help those people and businesses who didn't really do anything to, to bring this tragedy on themselves? That was the that was the whole change in philosophy. This goes under the notion of
0: Keynesianism. And uh, we still see we still practice that, Dr. Mike Walden, is our guest tonight. He's a professor of economics from NC State. If you're a regular listener, he is not a stranger because he's been with us just about every month for the last thirty years. And we we have one more thing on our, mm-hmm. our our list tonight, one more chapter. And after we take this break, we're going to get his view on whether there might be some good things hidden in the in the, uh, in the pandemic. Uh, if I said that right, I can never get those words right. But that will be right after this. Monday. Dr. Mike Waldman, professor of economics at NC State, visiting with us tonight, giving us an update on the economy and uh, his appraisal of certain issues that uh, he thinks should be brought to mind. And uh, uh, maybe a, a little bit of a look into the future, uh, positing whether or not the, the uh, uh, some good things may come from the pandemic, Doctor Walden. Yes, Tom. It's time for you to take the ball and run with it. Okay. Well, our last topic was. Um,
1: we will always lend a, uh, end on an upbeat note, and whether there's there's anything out there going on in the economy that that we can point to and say, well, this is this is maybe one good result of the pandemic. And I'm going to appeal to your his, history background. Says this is really something that, that researchers have found in history, and that is that when you have an economic downturn, when the economy is bad, people are losing their jobs and business, et cetera, that's actually a period of time of great entrepreneurship. That's just a long word for people sitting down and figuring out, well, what kind of business could I start? How could I maybe, what kind of changes might I, might I need to make? Um, or is there something I could invent that? Uh, something I can maybe take from someone else and maybe tweak it or whatever, um, the, the historians and economists who uh, have looked at this that uh, have looked at downturns in the past have concluded that, ironically, when times are bad, economic times are bad, that's often a time of great entrepreneurship, people inventing things, innovating things, changing how we, how we look at processes, et cetera. Well, the question is, is that going on today? And the good news is, that uh, some early evidence suggests we're seeing that again. We're seeing high numbers of people actually starting new businesses, high numbers of people actually in, in, trying to invent or innovate things, and that's good because really inventions and innovations and entrepreneurship—that's what moves us forward. That makes that makes for a better economy in the future. So that's one upside. I think we can we can take from. Uh, this this recession that's been caused by the pandemic.
0: One of the things that uh, I, I take you, I, I'm you—I'm not interrupting you right now—that uh, surprised me, not surprised me, that I've been really interested in is how restaurants and places like that, who you know, promise mm-hmm. you, you know, that you if you can't sit down, you can come to the curb and take your food away. Right. How quickly they adapted to that. Yes, and that's, it a must that's, an ex-
1: that's an excellent example, Tom. Yes, how businesses, restaurants. Yeah, other retailers, they, uh, well, and, and of course, the, the reason is if you don't change, you'll go under. And right. so uh, there's that extra uh, push there. But you're, well, all you're those little
0: right. bags, all those little, I, I, we, we went out and got curbside service for the first time mm-hmm. this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of had an appreciation for that. Yeah. So all those little plastic things, all the little things that have to be there to yeah. make it work, I, all of a sudden appear from somewhere, and that means somebody is making it happen. Yeah
1: yeah yeah and, and of course, one question is will will all of these changes and you're t- using restaurants as an example? I think it's a good example. Will all these changes stay with us? And my guess is probably there'll be some pullback uh probably'll be uh, there'll be a lot of people who want to go back to the old ways, but it's not going to totally disappear. I think many major parts of our economy have been changed permanently because of this this pandemic induced
0: recession. Well, Dr. Walden, you've made a nice package tonight. Okay, I said, thanks, Tom. I told Thank John you for, to tell your, for you, your guidance. <laughs> I told John to tell you that the piece of puzzle that you put in was just the right size. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And uh, I will uh, I look forward to calling you again. If uh, your people will call my people, which right, you're calling me. It's yeah. going to be past the election, I think. Uh,
1: oh, well, oh, well, a lot, of talk, lot, lot to talk about then, certainly. That's yeah. good.
0: There will be a big jumble around. There. Hopefully there will be a decision. <laughs> Well, take care, Thanks, and Bob. we'll talk to you again in okay. a month, okay? Bye-bye. Dr. Mike Walden, Professor of Economics at NC State. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about uh, Apple products with uh, Bob Chandler.